Welcome to the Diligent Endeavors podcast, where we interview people from all walks of life striving for success. We share highlights, interviews, and stories of others to spread inspiration, valuable insights, and content. Remember to put yourself in danger of success. So welcome to the Diligent Endeavour podcast. We have got an absolute legend here today. We've got Michael Wildig. He's from Sheffield, deal packager, and he specialises in buy-to-lets and serviced accommodation. We've got some absolute nuggets to be shared today from what he used to do in the past, what he's doing currently, and what he wants to do in the future, and all the fuck-ups in between. So welcome onto the podcast, Michael. How are you doing? You Okay. Thanks for having me, Phil. Uh, I'm doing absolutely brilliant, mate. Thanks for thanks for everything, really. Yeah, no dramas at all. So uh, me and Michael met, uh, I think it was about six months ago, wasn't it? Um, six, four or six months ago. And um, yeah, both shared a bit of an experience with Jamie York, whereby, you know, he delivered some content and we both looked at each other and were quite blown away um, by what he said. So, uh, you know, I've been, we've invited Michael on to share his journey, his successes, and I say his fuck-ups. So, Michael, property, that's your game, my game as well. Um, what got you into property? I mean, how how old were you when you thought, property is for me? That's what I want to do. Um, I was actually quite young when I first thought about property. Um, I'd probably say I was about 11 years old when someone decided, like when people were asking a question of what you want to do when you're older, um, a lot of people said like physiotherapist or, you know, a police officer, firefighter. I said I wanted to get into property um, in a roundabout way. I, uh, the idea was to uh, potentially buy a rundown old pensioners home and turn it into flats. That's what, what I wanted to do. That was my sort of dream um, from a young old age of 11. So uh, I'm a little bit older than that now. I still haven't done that yet. Just but it's in the future to do so. <laughs> yeah, just about. <laughs> so what what did people say to you when you were 11 years old and you, you know, you said, I want to be in property? Were they like ridiculing you? Were they supportive? Uh, complete ridicule, really. It was like people thought I was weird. Um, I kind of kept it to myself for a long time as well. Um, only when people asked, like, what do you want to do when you're older? And when I said it, a lot of people would be taken back. Uh, everyone is under the impression that property is an old person's game and you kind of do it once you've retired. Um, so for, you know, young old me to say, I want to get into property when I was 11 years old, um, I found, you know, a lot of people found it very, very weird. Um, yeah. It's just not your normal answer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, similar thing. I knew about lease options at 14 years old. Um, so yeah, pretty much similar. Um, so you want to get into property you're 11 years old so what happens from when you're 11 to you know because you didn't buy a property when you were 12 did you so what happens where from 11 all the way to when you actually first started in property what did you do in between uh well i've always wanted to make money like it's something that i've always done so even from a very young age i was the kid at school that would sell uh, treats, pops, everything from his uh, from his backpack, um, and some naughty stuff as well. Some downloaded videos that I used to sell. Some naughty downloaded videos. That's um, I used to, to people at school. Yeah. What was your nickname? Um, Blue Michael or something? <laughs> not quite. Red like Mike. Mike. Yeah. No. No. Not quite, mate. Um, but I then moved on to doing other things. Uh, I started off doing sort of penny stocks um, when I knew that I didn't have enough money to put put down for a deposit. Yeah. Because um, the idea of raising money wasn't even a thought in my head at that point. Um, so I lost quite a bit of money on doing that. Um, I had made eight thousand pounds in just over a week and then lost £10,000 in just over a week. So um, the money was so fluctuating that um, I knew that I just couldn't do that. Yeah. So I decided to, to move on to trying to get more money. Um, so, and I knew I've, I've always been, good, been pretty good at sales. Uh, so I went around with my CV and I posted to 43 car dealerships uh, to see if I could potentially become a car sales exec. And only one car dealership got back to, back to me, um, and they gave me a job. They gave me a job, 
um, in the service department. Um, but they've figured out very early on that I was very good at sales because I would sell um, all sorts of things like service plans, uh, air conditioning, regasses, um, and accessories. Yeah, so <laughs> they were like, well, he's wasted his. We might as well get him to, to, to start selling cars. Um, so they gave me an opportunity to earn some very good money, uh, but the hours were ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Um, Your microphone has fallen off. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Right. Let's, let's go back to, let's let's reset at when you said they figured out very early on that I was good at sales. So they figured out very early on that I was good, good in sales. So they moved me to selling cars. Um, I started off just doing Saturdays. So uh, I used to take a Saturday, my own Saturday. Um, they never used to pay me for that Saturday, but any commission that I'd earned from a car sale on that Saturday, um, they'd obviously pay me for. Um, yeah. I then they said, well, I mean, he's selling quite a few cars here. We might as well move them across. So um, I got a full, full chance. They gave me a month sort of opportunity to to hit a target, um, which I did in my first month. Hit my first target, um, and never really looked back. Um, I was in the car industry for almost ten years, um, but there was just something missing with regards to it. It's uh, an industry that I just felt like customer service was not sort of the height. It's all about trying to mislead people into purchasing cars, and I didn't really like that. Um, yeah. there's a, there's a, I, I've been into a number of car deals. Like my brother used to be a used car salesman, but he wasn't your typical used car salesman, if that makes sense. So, like, you know, when you go into a dealership, it got, like the way that I, I've experienced it before, that where when you've got a used car salesman and they come across to you, all of the pleasantries that they say to you, you think, well, all of that's fake. Do you know what I mean? There's yeah. no, there's no genuineness that I felt when I've been to one. Um, I don't know if that's something that you've also yeah. seen in the industry. Hundred percent. I mean, that's what separated me from the rest of the car sales execs uh, that I used to work with. Is that I, I, all I wanted to do is be very genuine and very authentic when I come across to my customers, um, and it served me very well. I mean, I won you know several awards with the car dealership I worked with. I was top sales exec for four years running um by a long shot um and also the main dealership that i used to work with uh, we used to work for a car manufacturer and that car manufacturer sent me on many a, a trip for winning awards um you know in 2016 as well um i had sold the most cars uh, uk wide uh, for that car manufacturer for a certain uh, brand of car um so they sent me away to sweden uh for a three-day holiday three-day jolly so um, and it was nothing to do with my sales technique. It was also, it was all about how genuine I was coming across to my customers. If I feel like the product wasn't suitable, I would tell them it's not suitable. Whereas a lot of car sales execs, I think they will just put you in a car just because they want to hit commissions. Yeah. Um, as I worked a little bit differently. And I think that's what actually got me to, to where I was in the industry. It's just, just being a little bit more genuine than than most um and it's I think that's with any that's with any um industry isn't it you know when you go into a shop it's not necessarily the product that you remember it's how you were treated within that shop um mm -hmm. i know i've been to lots of establishments whereby you know i've been treated you know not I, the, the service was bad the service level wasn't to my expectations and that damaged the the brand or the view of that establishment. So I'll never go back there again because of one, one thing that happened where I think the, the level of service could have been improved. You know, it's, as, as I say, it's not necessarily the, the product. It's, it's the, every business is a people business, um, property, especially, and, yeah. and car sales, you know, especially um, you've got to have the right people skills. Otherwise you're not going to, you're not going to be able to fulfill their needs. Uh, you're not going to be able to build those relationships with the customers and it's just not going to work out. So you're, hitting, so you're hitting all of these goals in car sales. You've That's impressive yeah. that you've sold them in, in one year the most <clears throat> of a certain brand, uh, of a certain model UK-wide. That's really impressive. Uh, go on, what car was it? Uh, it was the, it's the Volvo V40. So I used to work for Volvo. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I had for, for that 2016 um, sold the most V40 models uh, UK wide. Um, so they sent me to Sweden for uh, three day jolly, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, but it, it pushed me to do want to do more. 
um, and do better. But I also wanted to progress. Um, I've always been a person that likes to help people uh, progress. So I started taking other car sales execs under my wing, um, trying to help them become better car sales execs and do it slightly different uh, compared to what was the norm. Yeah, uh, which I think is what Volvo wanted us to do anyway. They were moving away from sort of the 1980s car dealership, you know, wheeling, dealing, a bit of Del Boy, um, and trying to get across the sort of customer experience, um, which really fitted with my ethos on customer experience. But car dealerships still needed to catch up um, because you're effectively, the car dealership still works for itself. And then you've got this manufacturer, which is again, Volvo in our case, are trying to put their ethos into a car dealership who's just selling their product. So yeah. um, that was quite difficult to get across because again, it, it, it became a thing of, well, bottom line's key. Um, and I don't think they recognized what I was doing um, yeah. was slightly different to that bottom line. And the idea was to get repeat customers through the door uh, because you know, if you can keep your customers keep keep coming in, you're going to be st- spending less money on marketing. Um, and, you know, especially in 2016, 17, 18, I was getting between uh, 60 and 70% uh, of my business was repeat business. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason for that, people come, coming back to me is because, you know, they knew that I wasn't going to bullshit them. I was just going to give them the experience that they wanted and I would tell them what was right and wrong in their purchasing experience. And if I if, if, if it was wrong for me to sell them a car because it wasn't the right time, their PCP agreement wasn't right, I would just tell them to, to come back in six months and in a year and we'll relook at it, where a lot of people would have just put them in, you know, the worst deals possible. Yeah. Um, and that really served me well. Yeah, definitely. It's the it's the right way to approach things. Definitely, you know, you've 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 put your own stamp on their selling process, or you did, and it, you know, it paid off yeah. for you. Um, so you you're at Volvo. You're selling these cars. Yeah. You're smashing all the targets. Yeah, and and then you've gone from being 11 years old, knowing you want to be in property. So what yeah. was the point when you were working at Volvo that you thought, Do you know what, this is I've had enough what was the next step for you um the bit the biggest thing for me was uh, i'd gone for a promotion for uh, i was senior sales exec at the time so i was looking after a couple of lads um and then i wanted to go to become uh, the brand manager for the branch um we'd just effectively taken a branch from uh, one brand manager a sales executive and a general manager to open up a f- uh, fully fledged branch on its own because we used to share a showroom with uh, another brand. And um, we were then up to three sales execs, a product specialist, a brand manager and a general manager. Brand manager got promoted and I went for the brand manager job um, and I got overlooked. Um, I don't know why. Uh, it might be my ability to sell cars. Maybe they didn't want me to come off the shop floor. Uh, but that really, really got me sort of down a little bit um, at that point, I'd already purchased my first house um, at 20 years old, um, and I absolutely loved the experience of purchasing the house. So I was like, right, I'm going to try go go again and go for another one. So was that, experience. Was, that, was that house that you bought when you were 20, was that one for you to live in, or was that an investment? Yeah, so it, the idea was for me to live in it and then do a purchase, refinance, uh, sorry, purchase, refurb, refinance, yeah. um, and then go again, purchase, refurb, uh, refurb refinance but it, keep this one as a bite to let so that's what I wanted to do but I knew nothing so it was like starting completely again um, so at the time um, I knew nothing about you know interest only mortgages um, and I was on a capital mortgage for this particular property I couldn't see how it would work for a bite to let so I thought I'll sell it and I'll move on to the next property and then use the second one for a buy to let um, but in this case I wanted to flip um, and I just messed up massively. I overpurchased um, on my second property. Um, it didn't work. Um, I lost a little bit of money. Luckily, not a huge amount, um, but it was a complete learning curve. So at that point, um, I was about 25 years old. Um, and I thought, right, I need to get some education uh, because I can see how property can work. Because my, uh, my, my, my original house that I purchased at 20, um, the value of that property had gone up by 50-60%. Um, so I had this extra sort of cash that I was going to do uh, property with, but I, 
because I had this experience of the second property that went wrong, I thought I need to get some sort of education to, to, to get me into a stage where I can potentially purchase property in a, in a different way. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of people out there that, that, you know, think about getting into property or they'll read one or two books. So I've heard people say that, you know, you can find everything everything out on Google. You don't need to pay for these courses. Now, you can find everything out on Google if you if you know what to search for. But how can you Google for something you don't know exists? You can't. This is the issue. right? I mean, the information you'll get on YouTube and stuff like that is fantastic, right? It's a good learning curve, but it's the basics. Like you can't learn everything. And you'll like you say, whatever you search in Google, that's the search that's going to come up, right? Um, So when you're trying to find out a way to how to do, for instance, BRR, right? You you don't know to search BRR to to get what you want for your your purchase. Yeah. So I just did it. What everyone thinks that you have, how you have to purchase a property, which is save up a bunch of money, buy it, rent it out, and then save up a bunch of money and go again. Um, you know, I didn't know anything about remortgages, refinancing, you know, buying a bridge, that type of thing, um, which is what the education came in to do to help me do all of that stuff. Yeah. So you've gone, you've, you've, you're at the point where you've got these two properties and you're still working for the car sales uh, for, for yes. Volvo. Is that right? And then That's are, you, are you full time in property now? I'm full time property. Yeah. So yeah. what was the transition from? the car salesman role to full-time in property? So I call it a bitter blessing because my the, the company I was working for, the manager that I had was like, he was a brother, but also my worst enemy because outside of work, you know, we would do absolutely everything to, to make sure that we were happy in work. Uh, very very abusive mentally abusive um because of the way that he wanted to uh how he was very controlling he was obsessive with his job and he wouldn't let anything go um which made it very very difficult for us to do our jobs um because he wanted no it no responsibility but he also wanted to take all the responsibility which didn't it didn't work it was so bipolar in a way that it caused uh, you know me and my colleagues a bit more hassle than it was actually worth. Yeah, um, I started in property because of not being seen in an environment where you know I was top performer. Um, so I was like, right, I need to do something for myself. Um, so I get into property at this stage, um, looking to do some education. They find out because I'm doing posts on Facebook and uh, about me starting my education. Um, looking to progress my prop- property career and start purchasing my first, you know, educated buy to let. Um, they pull me into a meeting and they say to me that I cannot do both. It's gross misconduct. Um, it's in our contract that if you decide to continue with, you know, creating your own business, then I no longer have a job. At uh, this point, they thought that I was going to obviously, you know, not take the risk. Uh, you know, continue on with a lot of people say nine to five for me, it was eight to seven job um, and continue on with them. Um, I there and then pulled out a piece of paper from my drawer because we were in the office and I started writing out my resignation and I handed my resignation in that interview um, and said, look, I don't want to continue on with, uh, with you if that is how you feel. Um so they were supposed to suspend me for, uh, for 30 days um, on a panel of hearing. After I'd handed in that notice, they had actually left the interview, made a phone call and begged me to stay for 30 days so they could find a replacement for me. So it's like I knew for a fact that they only were trying, it was, it was a scare tactic to, to keep me on board and not uh, start my own journey in property. The funny thing about it is I was actually working harder for them because I was trying to save all this money for all this property, yeah. uh, all the property education paid for and stuff like that. Um, so I was actually, I was performing higher than I've ever performed before. I was helping out more 
because I wanted the extra uh, the extra cash and also the extra responsibility. Um, so it kind of sort of bit them a little bit in the butt, but actually helped me out. So I'm so grateful that they decided to to do that to me because without it, it may have not given me the push to to move up to Sheffield, um, start completely again. Um, in oh, a so you weren't living in she- you weren't living in Sheffield at the time. No, no. At this point, I was living in Ipswich. So, oh, okay. um, I so right. I'm going to go back a little bit. So, effectively, I sold everything. I had this house. I sold it, um, and then I was like, right. A month later, after all this happened, I sold everything. I was in a six-year relationship that was coming to its end of its natural course. We broke up. And I moved up to Sheffield and started property yeah. and started completely again. I got a, a job up, up in Sheffield in car sales. Um, I was very well known in the, the sort of Volvo network. Um, so they hired me straight away. So that wasn't an issue. And I literally started in property up in the north and started again. King in the north. <laughs> <laughs> Trying again. <laughs> Good stuff. That's um, it's It's really... And this, I've heard this a few times whereby people try to build a business or do a side hustle and they get pulled into meetings by their manager because it's in their contract. And as a society, it's really frowned upon to start a side hustle or to start your own business. Um, and it just goes to show why a lot of people are scared. They, they hold yeah. you to this, this security of having a job but you're trying to make your life better and push forward. There's so yeah. much conflict, you know, conflicting thoughts, information. Got, you know, no wonder why so many people don't want to start a business. There's there's no. not a lot of help out there from, from your work. I mean, I use I used to work for um, a large bank and um in the head office and of a I was how old as I but I was about 17, 18, maybe. And it was just when the LED spotlights came in. So you know the little the little GU tens and MR16. Yeah. I still know what they're called. MR16. <laughs> and when they came in, they were they were being sold in shops for like 15, 20 pounds per bulb. Yeah. I don't know if you can remember that, but they were really expensive. Now they're like a yeah, pound yeah. for about hundred. Anyway, we found them on um Alibaba on on uh, on the internet. And we could get them. We were in contact with them with the manufacturers. We were getting them for like one pound ten, manufactured them rather than having them plastic. We we're having them in uh, in aluminium, so it dissipated the heat better. Then we were getting certain bulbs, they were, so they were better. Anyway, we were buying them in bulk, me and my brother. And on my lunch break, because I worked in the Bur- in, in the centre of Birmingham, you got the jewellery quarter just around the corner. Now, jewellery shops, as you know, illuminate their front window and all of the display cabinets. So we were going around. I had a calculator that showed how much energy they're using currently and also um, the, the life cycle of a bulb. So we'd be going in there. And I remember selling you know, bulbs to diamond dealers, walking in just because I, I had that little bit of a patter and because I just tried and tried and tried. I'd I'd be I'd be getting into the sort of round the back of where the jewellery is. And I'm 17 years old, covered in tattoos. You know, I was going into diamond dealers, getting round the back of the counter and selling these bulbs. And I was like, it was just I was I'd I'd have a rucksack on, I'd leave. It'd take me 20 minutes to get there, 20 minutes to get back. My lunch break was an hour. So I had like 15, 20 minutes to get into these shops, do my pitch and then get back out, and my rucksack would be full, and, like, you know, my manager were asking me what I was doing, and I was just telling them, but they didn't care. Fair play to them, because they could have, like, just like yours, had that had that meeting and tried to stop it. So I'm really glad yeah. that they didn't. They, I, f- I feel like uh, because the, biz- the business, I absolutely loved working for Volvo. I worked for this car dealership for so long. They gave me the opportunity I deserved. Yeah. Um, but I just feel like... Uh, you know, as soon as I wanted to progress, uh, that's when they wanted to stop me. Um, I, th- I felt like there was only a base that I could have stayed at. Um, and if I was to continue on, you know, it might have taken another sort of five to 10 years to get the job that I really wanted in that car dealership. Um, and I was really doing half the work. So it wasn't even like, uh, you know, they had to do major uh, changes to how things were. Uh, it's, I think for them, it was the fact that 
you're taking off someone that's selling, you know, 200 plus cars a year um, and they're off the shop floor and you have to find someone to replace me. Um, that's what it was. You, you were making them scared. Yeah, I that's, think that's so. What it was. And they only yeah. cared about their, their, you know, their, their sales figures. So you were making them anxious. So then they thought, let's try and make him scared. And it obviously backfired yeah. on them. They lost, lost what sounds like the most valuable member of staff they had. Yeah, um, at the time, probably, probably. Um, and also, I was. It's not only that. I was also helping out the other, the rest of the guys. So, you know, my impact on selling cars also helped out the impact of everyone else selling cars. Yeah. Because there was a level of desire that resonated off the rest of the team. Um, and I know for a fact, I mean, I still get messages from some of the guys, um, you know, telling me, like, thanking me for, you know, pr pr providing that sort of mentorship for them um, and how they sort of progressed into, you know, other roles that they probably wouldn't have got in other industries uh, because of, you know, the sales background and that I provided for them. Um, because I'm, I'm that type of person. I want to help as many people as possible. Um, and for me, selling cars was not, the thrill that I got it was helping other people sell cars or helping other people sort of progress that's the thrill I actually got from being in that job yeah um so I wanted to be in a role that sort of showed that um and you know I, I didn't get it um and it mean that I needed to do something else yeah so we've we've gone we've gone from you know you're 11 years old you know you want to get into property You've gone through 10 years of being at Volvo. Yeah. You've sold everything, sold a relationship, sold a car, sold, sold a house, sold another house, yeah. messed up. You're now in Sheffield. You're now working for uh, another Volvo dealership. Yeah. So what happened? When did you leave that Volvo dealership? Uh, right. So... I started in property. A lot of people may, may say the wrong time. Uh, for me, it was the right time um, just before the first lockdown. So um, my first, so I was doing property training um, September, 2019. I'd moved up to Sheffield. Um, and then I was literally getting settled in Sheffield. Um, I'd done my first deal, which was going through in February, 2000, uh, 2020. And we went into lockdown. March 2020 so my first educated deal was uh March 2020 people panicked hard because obviously we thought the market well a lot of people thought the market was going to crash I was actually doing three deals at once I was doing two rent to rent service accommodation deals and I was doing my first buy to let uh sort of educated buy to let so it was a bit of a mess um first of all I took on these two rent to rent deals um just before the first lockdown um, I had fantastic help for, from the management company that I use yeah. and I'll give them a shout out. Easy let angels, absolutely perfect. Um, helped me first through the first, uh, two service combination deals. Um, and they were doing all sorts. Um, they were speaking to the local hospital, um, doing leafleting down that side. And we managed to break even in the first two months, even though we're in, in lockdown. So, you know, massive shout out to them. Um, and it's been, pretty much 100% occupied uh, since I've had them, um, making about a £1,000 a month uh, profit each, um, which gave me the opportunity to potentially quit my job. Um, but I didn't want to do that just as yet because um, I had this other buy-to-let that was going through. Um, brilliant story about this buy-to-let. I purchased it um, in Liverpool. Um, it came across to me by um, a good friend of mine in property, Holly Jennings. Um, and she said, I can't get anyone for this deal. Um, I looked at the numbers and I just couldn't see why no one was taking this deal. So I said, yep, yeah, I'll have it. I hadn't viewed it at this point, but I said, I'll have it because I was desperate for a bite to let, you know, it's everything that I've been training for and I needed to get something over the line. So I'll go ahead and, and take on this property and then lockdown hits. So it took ages. It took 11 months to get the deal over the line because we went through two lockdowns, everything else had happened, but I negotiated a slightly better deal on the property which was mint. The numbers then turned out to be a lot better than we anticipated because, you know, rent went up, uh, property house prices in Liverpool, you know, skyrocketed. Mm. So by the time I had actually completed my deal um, on this buy to let, which was going to turn out to be about 60, 60% 60 return, 
um, it actually went and turned out to be a money in money out deal. Um, so I was over the moon with that. So when people were panicking, I decided to continue and that helped me through. So at 2021, bearing in mind I was still working, but they um, just put a bunch of us on furlough through the third lockdown because car dealerships couldn't sell cars. Um, at that point, they asked me back in April uh, last year. Um, at that point, I decided, look, I don't want to, to, to do it anymore. I don't want to do car sales. I didn't need to do it uh, because I was making enough profit through property. So I decided that I would quit the job there and then um and continue on at that point i weren't really into it um they the, the last car dealership were very good to me um they kept us in fur furlough for probably slightly longer than i needed to but my mind because of the second lockdown really really went uh downhill it took mm. a turn for the worse um and i really struggled at that point i was i was living on my own in a in a hmo obviously no friends or family around me because of the lockdown and also all my friends and family were, you know, three and a half hours drive away. Um, so very, very difficult for me at that point. We're quite a sociable person. So having no one around me, as opposed to, you know, a little bit of interaction here and there, um, set me on a bit of a spiral. Um, so that I, I said to, to uh, the Valvadiship I was working for that if I was to continue on working here, it would just put me in the wrong place and yeah. I needed to get my mindset before doing anything else and that's what i did yeah i mean lockdowns were um they, they were hard on a lot of people um mentally mentally i think the most uh for the for the masses um and, and you know taking on properties just before then i can certainly resonate with that we took four hmos on just before and we had a deal going through refurb as well. So I can completely understand where you're coming from. Um, but we pushed forward as you did um, and, and made it work. And let's face it, if we can make it work in a market like that, bring it on. Oh, yeah, Absolutely bring it on. I think, um, I mean, I don't get stressed very often. Um, I've always worked in high stress environments um so i mean car sales has got one of the highest stressed environments i think behind um i think it's veterinarians for suicide rates and stuff like that so farmers is one of them like, yes yeah and it was very very difficult so um but i don't get very stressed easy so when it when it came down to it i'm the type of person that those things don't really reflect and that's probably because of um even from a young age i've had to deal with high stress environments um you know from from being younger my parents uh we were, used to live in south africa uh we got robbed eight times in seven years we had to move to the uk um you know it was even from like the age of seven i've had to deal with sh like stress after stress sort of environments and that's really really grounded me for uh ref reflection um, and it's been very, very sort of easy for me to deal with that stress um, where I think a lot of people struggle with it. So when we went through the lockdown, I wasn't in that sort of stress environment. It was actually the complete opposite. But I felt the loneliest that I've ever felt. Um, obviously, you're starting a business where, you know, it can be quite lonely in the first place. Um, but not even having sort of friends and family around you was quite difficult for me. Um, so going through that and then going, well, I've got no real stress, you know, apart from the deals that I'm going through, but I didn't feel like they were stressful. Um, it then became a bit of a, well, what am I going to do type thing? And I needed to put that stress back on me. So by quitting my job, I felt a little bit more stress, um, which I feel sounds weird now I'm saying it because um, I never actually said that before. Um, and it actually pulled me into more of a, a state of mind that I'm used to, um, which has helped me continue on um, in property. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I've spoken to about three people from South Africa and every single one of them just tells me how dangerous it was and how many times they were robbed. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah it's, it sounds crazy. I watched a few documentaries and it's not the it's definitely not the safest place. Um, no. uh, so, yeah. And I guess... It's a bit all the past experiences you've got that you've got and you've had and everyone has they're the what they're the things that really help you drive forward that allow you to you mentioned that you know you were going through a particularly stressful time but you didn't feel stressed because the stress levels that you'd had in the past 
were you know higher so it's it's allowed you to cope with that it's giving that coping mechanism yeah. and you, yeah. you're not seeing it as stress some like, yeah exactly i always say like i've been through things in the past and you know you've been through things in the past and no one can tell you that one person's struggle is worse than someone else's because everyone's got a tolerance level so mm. you know i might not be able to deal with what you could deal with and you might not be able to deal with what i could deal with because we've all, we've, we've experienced tolerance levels of stress of heartbreak of you know depression whatever in different ways um, so it's it's just important not to get bogged down in thinking that your problem isn't a problem and that you should feel guilty because other people have got things worse than you. No, if yeah. you've got a problem, you've got a problem. You just work through it. You get support, get help, move forward. Um, there's no point in feeling guilty about it. Like, I... I did this when when Ukraine, um, the war in Ukraine started, and I was having days where, you know, I went through that that breakdown, and I thought to myself, "You absolute idiot! What you've got a beautiful family, a beautiful home, you're building a business, you've got friends who are you know supportive, and you're having a breakdown, and there's people over there." And then I thought, "No, no, no, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, you can't do that to yourself because you'll start bringing yourself down." everyone's got problems just just you know hold your hands up yep got a problem right let's let's work through it don't then try and um don't try and you know have a don't try and look at other people and justify why yours isn't a problem just it's just you're just gonna make yourself even worse um but you know you've 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 certainly come out the other side of that uh you, you you've gone through the car salesman manager who was I'm not going to use that word. Um, <laughs> you've gone on to do a property that you messed up. Yeah. You've then sold everything. You've gone and got yourself educated. You've done these deals at the start of lockdown. You're working with other people. You're networking. So what are you doing at the moment? What's What sort of deals have you got at the moment? So um, we're mainly focused on deal packaging at the moment, uh, just to get sort of extra cash flow, um potentially looking to do a couple more deals for buy to let for myself but right now um the, the recent the most recent deal that we've done um is two lease options on a grade listed two building that also had cladding problems so issue after issue after issue um but the problem is is a lot of people aren't looking at those deals it was direct to vendor the vendor was panicking hard because he didn't know what to do with the property um because he couldn't sell it you know, cladding issues meant it was a cash only deal. Um, he had bought it off plan. Um, he had bought it in 2015 um, and he knew nothing about property, not educated, nothing. So um, for him, he, you know, off plan uh, flat in a grade two list building that is now apparent since Grenfell that there's cladding issues um, meant that he was he needed to, to, to get rid of these properties hard. So we had approached him um, and offered him a deal for a lease option um, over five years where he would just get his money back um, in five years time for the properties that he's purchased and the money he's put in. Um, the deal doesn't work as buy to lets at all because, because of the cladding problems, the insurance has gone up, which means that the, um, the costs associated to the building is a lot higher. Um, so the service charge has gone up, the ground rent has gone up over the year. And I think they rent out for, if it was a buy to let, they'd probably rent out for about 725. And the bills outgoing, including mortgage, um, was six, just, just shy of 650 a month. Um, so there's not a huge amount of profit in that. Um, however, um, I've mentioned Easy Let Angels, which is uh, the, the management team that I deal with. They also have a, quite a substantial large portfolio of service accommodation in Sheffield. Um, I'd approached them um, about these two deals to see if I could potentially take them on a service accommodation. Um, but I didn't really want to add more service accommodation to my portfolio. Um, just for the fact that I was moving in a different direction. I think when you diversify, especially early on, you can be do, doing too many things um, and that can cause you to actually grow, uh, stop you from growing. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to, to focus on 
um, just getting these sourced on. Um, so I had actually spoken to them and it was right up their street. So for them, it made an absolute, you know, no brainer. You know, I'm taking them on lease option. Um, fantastic deal. Um, it makes huge amount of money on a monthly basis compared to outlay of cost at this point in the agreement. And of course, with the cladding problems that will be rectified in the future, um, you know, with the new laws and legislations passing, um, you know, quite recently, which a lot of people don't know about, um, you know, for them, this is going to make a fantastic deal in five years time. And right now they're going to get, you know, brilliant amount of cash flow because of it. Um, so those are the types of deals we're doing. Um, I'm also helping out other deal sources that don't have, um, you know, as many investors involved as I do, um, helping them trying to source deals. So we're currently trying to do um, a, a, a portfolio where there's HMO, um, two studio flats, um, a two bedroom flat, um, all in one building and just trying to get that sourced on as well. So just little things like that that we're currently working on, but it's mainly uh, deal packaging um, and helping investors to move on from property deals that they currently have. Cool, cool. So yeah, you've got your, your fingers in quite a lot of pies at the moment. You've got the, uh, the, the service accommodation and you've got the sourcing, you're helping other sources as well. Uh, where What does the future hold for you and your business? By the way, what's your business um, name? Wildig Property. Wildig Property Solutions. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. What does the future hold for you and your business? So we want to, at this year, we're looking at sort of potential profit of about 150,000 this year. So we want to grow that to potentially going up to a quarter of a million by, uh, you know, in three years time. Um, for myself, um, I want to do another four buy-to-lets, um, either by the end of this year or beginning of next, uh, to add to the portfolio um, and potentially adding extra stuff. So at the moment, we're getting to a stage where um, I'm... I'm wearing too many hats. So I need to start thinking about um, taking some of those hats um, and, you know, bringing on more people uh, to take on some of that, that extra stress that I've got going on. Um, so hopefully adding a virtual assistant by the end of the year, at least um, even probably sooner than that right now. Um, and then potentially looking at uh, adding extra stuff um, in the future. I mean, five year plan, um, is potentially to, to, to be looking at a sort of a million pound business um, and turning over a million pound a year, um, which looking at trajectory, we are heading towards that way, which is which is quite good, quite good. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Would you ever thought you'd be uh, saying those words when you were working at Volvo? No, not at all, mate. Um, I think working for Volvo was very good for me. It helps with, you know, the confidence that I do have and my sales ability. Um, and I always thought that I would be a millionaire. You know, I've, I've, I've always had that thought in my head. Um, and I just didn't know how I could do that working for another company. So yeah. you do have to start your own business. Um, I think I worked out in the time period that I'd worked for them, that I'd made the business something close to 250 million pounds. Wow. And to think that I only saw maybe a percent of that, um, really, really resonated with me. Um, don't get me wrong. I mean, I was earning, you know, phenomenal money for the age that I was um, in the situation I was. Um, but when you're looking at the amount of money they earn compared to what I earn, um, you know, if I put any of that effort into to, to start my own business and creating, you know, the life for myself, then it wouldn't it wouldn't be an issue. So good stuff. Good stuff. So throughout your whole you know, from being 11 years old to now, if someone's looking at getting into property and they've done no education, they're a complete beginner, what's the top three tips that you would give them or five, however many tips you want to give? Um, I mean, I would say if you haven't been, if you've not been educated, get educated. That's probably the first thing I'd say is if you've got sort of five grand spare, I wouldn't be looking at property deals. I'd be looking at putting that money towards, you know, getting educated on property. So that's tip number one, even if you haven't been educated. Um, if you haven't got the time or the experience, I would look for people like us um, that know the education and know their stuff that can find deals for you. I think that's pretty easy uh, because you're not actually doing the stuff that other people are doing. As opposed for us, we're trying to build an empire. Whereas if you're looking for, you know, three or four uh, buy-to-lets to, 
you know, help yourself retire in the future, then, you know, finding someone like us um, is really going to help. The third thing I will say is read books, read as many as possible, because there's so much value that I have found in books and not just property books in all types of books um, that I just couldn't see myself without it. It is statistically proven that, you know, the highest earners are the biggest readers. So you need to read more and people that this is where people go wrong. Right. Like I know for a fact that a lot of my friends have left high school and probably have never picked up a book since they've left. Whereas I, I mean, I've read five, five, six books this year already. Um, and I'm looking to, I want to do at least 20, 30 books this year. Um, and I'm behind my goal in reading. And I'm like, right, I need to pick up my reading pace and read more per day. Yeah. And I think there's so much knowledge. I mean, I wouldn't be in property properly without reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Richard Kawasaki's book. But I was the um, one that my brother gave me when I was about 13. I've still got the yeah. same book. <clears throat> I've still got the actual yeah, same book. I've got my the original covers book all crinkled. Yeah. Um, it's really important. You said about reading. I was actually reading um, 10X by Grant Cardone last night. Yeah. And my goal is to read a hundred pages a day. And I fell short. I fell short last night. I got, to, I finished the book and it was, I, I did 78 pages, but I was knackered. I stayed up to like midnight, 20 past midnight last night. Cause I thought yeah. I need to read this book. And I was just yeah. so engrossed in it. And you are right. The highest, the highest earners, the highest achievers do read the most. Um, yeah. It's really, really important in relation to education. Yeah, definitely get yourself educated. Be careful. There are sharks out there in the industry, in, in the industry yeah. that will take you for a ride. Um, if you do want any recommendations, I've got a couple. I'm not going to shout them out on here. Um, just DM me. If you are looking for a property in Sheffield, Michael is your man. Um, which obviously, if anyone wants to get in contact... Um, you can do through Instagram, which is Wildig. Pro uh, sorry, I'll start that again. It's Michael Wildig Property at Michael Wildig Property. You can get me on there. Um, I'm pretty much on my Instagram, um, sort of reading the comments that I get, um, sort of two hours a day. So you can always get me on there. I'll, I'll just recap this, and you will probably have heard horror stories like this, Michael. For, and this is just for people to learn and, and just gain a bit of you know actual reality from what happens. So this particular individual messaged me about five days ago, and they'd been having a certain problem. The problem was the source that they used underestimated the refurb, got bad builders in. The refurb suddenly went from £38,000 to £52,000. The purchase price of the property was £63,000. If they'd sold the property now, they're losing £20,000. They reached out to me because they saw me on social media. Someone actually recommended me and said, you know, contact this guy. He knows what he's talking about. He's really helpful on social media. Maybe he can help you. So we had a, we had a conversation with them and I just said, look, where are you? They, they live in the north. They've bought a house in, in Wales. They can't possibly project manage. And being sent photos is not project managing. That's just being kept in the loop. So the builder's gone AWOL. The sourcing agent, who is very well known in the area, but I'm not going to tell you their name, has uh, pretty much you know relinquish responsibility so i'm going to go there and try and help them through this problem uh am i earning anything from it no but i'm just one of those people that just like helping others these two reached out to me i could tell their hair they were pulling their hair out and it's only half an hour down the road from me why wouldn't i go and help them uh, it's the right thing to do especially when as i said there's a lot of sharks in the industry there's a lot of people I don't want, if I can do anything to help others, which is the reason for starting this, you know, the, the podcast, the YouTube channel, if I can help someone steer them into the right direction, then let's, let's do that. But I'm sure you've come across it before, Michael, where other sources have unethically done something or they've done something wrong and they've left someone in the lurch. So yeah, have you come across something like yeah. that? Uh, well, personally for myself as well. So again, I dealt with uh, quite a large firm uh, deal, deal sourcer 
um, and they had got a property for me, but never actually provided the property. So I had put the three and a half thousand pound deal sourcing fee up front in this case, um, which to this day, I still not have had my money back yet. Um, so yeah, I mean, it happens like businesses can be quite reputable. Um, you just have to do a little more due diligence on the properties yourself. Yeah. Um, where we're different, which I don't mind uh, saying, Phil, is that we deal package, we don't deal source, which is a little bit different because we don't leave you in the lurch once we've, um, you know, once the deal has been sourced, we take it to the end product and find the tenant for you, just like yourself, Phil. So, yeah. you know, you're getting an end to end, pro, uh, you know, end to end process, which really does help with uh, keeping you in the loop, project managing, you know, finding uh, tenants, um, you know, even going to the, the fact of getting you mortgage brokers um, and also getting you, uh, you know, legal advice. You know, we do all of that for you. It makes things a little bit easier, but it also hopefully will help you with stopping um, these these things from happening, so it doesn't happen again to 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 you know average people, innocent people uh, that don't deserve you know anything less than that type of service. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I always and I'm sure you do just aim to over deliver. It's not uh, it's not it's not difficult really to be a decent human being, is it? Let's face it. Uh, but some people they they do struggle to just operate at a decent level. So we've had Michael Wildig on the Diligent Endeavor podcast. We've gone through and looked at when he was eleven years old, all the way through to telling his boss to go and f themselves, quitting his job at Volvo, building this business or starting to build this property business throughout the start of lockdown now if michael can go through lockdowns and corona and the market changing as it is i'm sure that michael was going to hit his goals which he's been through earlier thank you so much michael for coming on today and just sharing your life experiences your property deals that you're going through the business just yeah thank you for coming on cheers phil thanks for having me cool good stuff Thanks for listening to this episode of the Diligent Endeavors podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with a friend and remember to put yourself in danger of success.